Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. If you have a Bible, you might be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and that's where we'll uh, be focusing our attention this morning. Lots of great and wonderful things coming up uh, here at the congregation. Of course, uh, in a week, we'll have our um, monthly fellowship meal. We've got a Christmas party coming up on December 18th. And then I know the ladies are planning some Christmas caroling and, and the ladies Bible class does that, but they are always happy to have others join them. And so um, if you want to participate in that as we get closer to Christmas, then um, uh, you might talk to one of them or talk to myself and we'll be sure and get you all the information. We'd love to have more singers go out with us and visit people who are um, shut in, people who are at home, and, and just sing some Christmas carols to them. Well, as we're reflecting on this, this letter that, that, that Paul wrote to Corinth, we're, we're reminded of some things. You know, we face a problem in our culture, and it's the problem of not wanting to change. Uh, we welcome some types of change. You know, every four years, we want a change of government. If our football team isn't doing well, then we want that athletic director to, to make a change and, and go out and get a new head coach. Um, we, we love to see old houses or, or, or buildings that are renovated and, and changed so that they look nice again. The, the change that we struggle with in our culture is the changes to our lives. And so sometimes we want to justify bad behaviors. We want to excuse Sin. We want to pretend like everything is okay, when in reality, it's not. Our culture's favorite Bible verse is, do not judge. We don't want anyone to tell us that, that we're wrong or that we need to make changes in our lives. And, you know, if this is the way we approach it, it may make us feel good, but ultimately this kind of mentality leads to disaster. Jesus never intended any of this when, when he gave this command in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he was speaking against being judgmental or he was speaking against hypocrisy and, and other forms of just unrighteous judgment. What Jesus never wanted was for our lives to go unchanged. And so he calls all of us to repent and the call to repentance is a call to change the direction of our lives. And this is what Christianity is all about. We cannot become a Christian and stay the same. And so you'll remember the book of Corinthians begins this way. Paul, called, to be, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And some people would, would like to stop the letter right there. The church of God that is sanctified in Christ Jesus. And that is a wonderful truth. We belong to God. And our salvation is in Christ Jesus. When we come up out of the waters of baptism, we are saved. We are added to the church. We have a new identity and we belong to a new community. This is an important truth. But it's not the whole truth. Paul continues on. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes 
to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus who are called to be saints. And so not only are we made holy, but then we're called to live holy lives. And we see this throughout the rest of the letter. When we get to 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? When we come to this passage, we think, you know, what happened to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus? Well, these are the same people from chapter 1. It's the same audience. It hasn't changed. They're saved, but they're not where they need to be. They need to grow up in Christ. They need to mature. They need to abandon the works of the flesh and stop thinking in earthly ways and embrace Jesus and his ways. And this is part of the work of salvation. We are to become someone new. We are to become like Jesus. And the emphasis on transformation in Corinthians is not just for them. It's for us as well. It's for all Christians And Paul describes this process in 2 Corinthians 3.18 very plainly. He says, And we all, all Christians, all people who profess Christ, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And this fits well with what we read in 1 Corinthians 3, because this is a passage that's bookended by other passages that mention the work of, of the Holy Spirit. And you go, you go back and you read 1 Corinthians, and you see in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 that, that Paul speaks of the natural person who does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And, and Paul is continuing the same line of thought throughout chapter 3 where he speaks of those who are still of the flesh and those who are being merely human. The Holy Spirit works in us to transform us into the image of Jesus. But this is not just some magical thing that happens on its own. The Holy Spirit works in conjunction with our spirits. And so the Holy Spirit does not coerce us. The the Holy Spirit does not force us into a lifestyle and way of being that, that we do not choose on our own. We have free will and we must choose the fruit of the Spirit over the works of the flesh. Paul writes to the Corinthians and informs them that they're just not there yet. That they, they, they've not arrived. They are members of the church of God. They are sanctified in Christ, but they're still of the flesh. They've been baptized and they've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, but, but they're choosing the works of the flesh over the fruit of the Spirit. They are divided. They are following earthly leaders rather than following Christ. And they need to stop being jealous. They need to quit causing strife. They need to grow up and commit themselves to the way of Christ, the way of the Spirit. 
Well, we face the same temptations that the Corinthians face. We are followers of Christ, but we still live in the world. And we work in the world, and we're surrounded by worldly people, and we turn on our televisions, and we see the ways of the world, and ultimately we have to make a choice. Are we going to choose the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? And we see this choice presented in the Sermon on the Mount. You'll remember that that sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it begins with the Beatitudes. And so we are to be meek and merciful. We are to be peacemakers who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And the sermon describes how we are to live and act in the world. We are to resist anger and lust. We are to be people who do what we say, who keep our word. We're to love our enemies and pray for those who wrong us, and we're to fast and give to those in need, and we're not to be anxious about the things of this world. Instead, we're to seek first the kingdom of God. And after Jesus goes through all these instructions, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7, he then offers these words. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. What's he talking about here? What does he mean? Well, he's talking about everything that he's just said. This is the conclusion of the sermon. And so he's saying we can either follow the ways of Christ, everything that he's just said up to this point. We can be peacemakers. We can love our enemies. We can turn the other cheek. We can be faithful partners to our spouses. We can pray fast and give to the poor. This is the narrow way. This is the path that few choose to follow. Or we can just do whatever we want to. We can sleep with whoever we want to. We can be jealous. We can cause strife. We can lie. We can say ugly things. We can hate our enemies and just get angry whenever we want to. And this is the way of the world. This is the wide gate that that many choose. This is what Paul calls the works of the flesh. And so Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter 3, he's saying, you're choosing the wrong way. You're still of the flesh, and you need to have the mind of Christ. You need to keep in step with the Spirit. And so as we encounter this living Word that we find in 1 Corinthians 3, we need to consider what is it that God is saying to us. We need to reflect on what's going on in our own lives. Are are there any parts of our lives that are still of the flesh? Are there any areas where we just need to grow up and mature? We're not to be jealous. We're not to cause strife and find fault with one another. We're to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind. We're to follow the ways of Jesus even though... Many people around us, as we go out into the world, they're following a different path. This is who we're supposed to be, and we need to commit ourselves to the ways of God, the ways of Christ, so that the Spirit of God 
And the Word of God can work in our lives to transform us into the image of Jesus. The next thing that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3 is a passage that's familiar to many of us. And so hear these words again, words that you've heard before. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now we look at this and we tend to think that this is a passage about evangelism. And this is typically how it's used, and that's okay. It teaches us something about evangelism. But when we read it within the context of chapter 3, it has another meaning. Because this is a passage about division and immaturity. And the Corinthians don't just need to understand and, and, and practice evangelism. What they need to do is they need to grow up and they need to stop causing division. So what's the point here? What's Paul getting at? Well, it's that we are all servants with the same mission. There is no bragging when we're working for the Lord. The only thing that we have to boast in is the cross of Christ. Even the titles that that some have in the church are simply descriptions of what a person does. And so a deacon is someone who serves. A shepherd is someone who shepherds. A preacher is someone who preaches. A teacher is someone who teaches. These are not titles in which we can boast. We don't strive to achieve a title. We strive to serve the Lord. Titles and accolades from fellow human beings they don't matter. What matters is what we do for God and what God is doing among us. We don't labor to be seen by others. We labor so that God may be glorified. And all of this is summed up in verse 9 where he says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Where's the focus here? Not on us. It's on God. We are God's fellow workers. The the work is not ours. We join God in what he is already doing. We are God's field. We are God's building. God uses us to accomplish his will, not our own. And so there should be no division, no boasting, no envy or jealousy, because we should all be focused on God and his mission. And this is the point of this passage right here in the middle of 1 Corinthians 3, but he continues on with this same thought. He says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. 
If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now the focus of of chapter 3, I believe, is verse 16, where Paul asks a question. And it's a question that deserves our focus and our meditation. And we have to be careful with how we understand and interpret this question, because when we read our Bibles as modern uh, people living in the West, we often do so in a personal and individual way. And we need to remember that this letter was not written to an individual, it was written to a church. And that it was not originally shared from individual to individual, it was shared from church to church. And and the King James translation helps us to understand the original intent behind this question. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. And and, and the ye's there, something we don't use anymore, are are just equivalent to y'all's. And whenever they come out with a translation that uses y'all there, I'll I'll start using that translation. But um, they, they haven't yet. And and that's important because the point of the passage is not that each individual is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The point of the passage is that the church, all of us together, are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God. What's the problem being addressed? This is helpful as well. In, in this chapter. Just go back and if you have a chance, you might read the, the whole chapter altogether. You might read chapters 1, 2, and 3 and you kind of get a sense of what's going on. The, the problem is division in the church. Not division in the individual, division in the church. And Paul is saying that if any person divides or defiles the temple of God, the church that person will be destroyed. And so it's a serious thing to divide the body of Christ. This is the the issue later on in the letter when Paul writes that, that what they're doing is not the Lord's Supper. Why? You know, they, they have unleavened bread, they have fruit of the vine, they're doing it on the first day of the week. What's, what's wrong? What is wrong is they are divided. And division has made their worship null and void. Because the church is the temple of God, and you do not divide or defile the church. So Paul is offering a warning to this young church. But there's more here than just a warning. The question that is asked in verse 16 is a beautiful truth. It's something that that the early followers of God would have never anticipated. Think for a moment about the temple. Think about the tabernacle. This was the dwelling place of God. And so a person would have to prepare themselves to, to come into the presence of God. And even then, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies one day out of the year. And people would journey for days on foot to reach the temple. 
And they would spend days there feasting and making sacrifices. And, and this was a place that was revered. And now Paul is telling all of these Christians that they themselves are the temple of God. And that God has taken up residence among them. And much of this is lost on us today because, you know, we've never seen the temple. We don't really grasp its full significance. But what Paul is saying is that the church is holy and we should treat it as such. And that something special happens when we gather together on the first day of the week. And it's not just another meeting. It's not just a requirement that, that we have to fulfill. It's not just another thing that, that we check off our, our list of things that, that we have to do. The church gathered is the temple of God. And God's presence is here with us this morning. And this is a holy space, not because the, the building that we're in is somehow something special, but because God is here with us. And we are invited by God to join him at his table where we sing and commune with him. And we're invited to encounter Christ in the breaking of the bread and through the proclamation of his word. And we cannot replace the gathering of God's people on the first day of the week with anything else. The assembled church is the temple of God. And, and really, this truth here is too much for us to even fathom. It's an amazing and beautiful thing. It's one of the mysteries of God for which we are grateful. When we open the book of 1 Corinthians, we're reminded that church is messy. We're not perfect. We all come with our, our faults and our shortcomings. We, we come worn and weathered by the world. We come tired and, and weary by life's ups and downs. And some here may even be doubtful that, that God could love a, a group of people such as this. We have not done all that, that we should have done. We have sinned, we have fallen short, we have made mistakes, and yet God still chooses to dwell among us. And God proclaims us sanctified, and he says that we are his temple. And in the midst of all us sinners, he calls this place holy, and he invites us to his table. And so there are no ordinary meetings in the life of the church. They are all extraordinary because we are the temple of God. And when we come together, God fills this space with his presence. And so when we begin to wrap our minds around this and understand it, there's no room to boast in ourselves, or in anything that we have done. All that we can do is bow down and say, how great is our God, worthy is his name. Let's pray.
Holy and awesome God, we come before your throne this morning and we're amazed by, by the truths that we have meditated on. We are in awe that you call us your temple and that you're present each time that we gather. May we never forget this important truth. May we never enter this space with boastful thoughts or a divisive spirit. May we understand the significance of your church, which was purchased by the blood of Jesus. May nothing in this world keep us from being in this place with these people in your presence. And may nothing in this world distract us from what happens on mornings such as this. We come not to complain about the world, but to focus on you. For you are our salvation. And you sanctify us. And you preserve us from this crooked generation. And that is why you alone are worthy of our worship and our devotion. And we pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.